0: James chapter 4, our text is a brief one here tonight, but it's contained all to one subject, so we'll go ahead and read right now verses 13 through 17 of James chapter 4, and then we'll back up, give a little introduction, and go through this brief portion of Scripture tonight. James chapter 4 and verse number 13. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy, and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life, it is even a vapor, that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin." The end of James chapter 4 is a passage that we're probably all familiar with, that we've visited several times. I know throughout my years of teaching Sunday School and preaching here at Central slash Renewal Baptist Church, I've probably preached several messages just from these few short verses as well as referencing them anytime in the bible we're reminded of the fact that god says our life is short these verses come immediately to mind we've taken a couple weeks off but we've been working our way verse by verse through the entire book of james and we are reminded that james was writing this epistle to jews but to save the jews who were being persecuted for their faith They had been scattered abroad because in Jerusalem, Saul and other people had begun to go house to house and persecute any Jewish person who took the name of Jesus Christ. Many of them would have lost their homes that they grew up in, their vineyards that they tended to, their business that they had invested their life in. And throughout the book, in chapter 1, we see him telling them to, to rejoice when they fall into divers temptations, to not be angry, but rather to allow the trials to, that have come into their life through the will of God to work patience and to have their perfect work in their life. And as the Bible tells us often, when we have trials, we can use those to try and glorify God in our life. But throughout this book, he not only gives them some encouragement, but he also rebukes them several times. He tells them throughout the book of James that they need to stop being partial, that within their church, their local assembly, they were greeting rich people and were treating them better than the poor and undesirable people who came into their assembly, He told them in another part, uh, uh, warned them about the tongue and the dangers of using their words for hateful, attackful means and said basically that more damage can be done to the church and to our relationships through the tongue than almost anything else we can do. In James chapter 4, the entire beginning of this chapter, he has talked about conflict and strife and told them how there, within the church, they were allowing their pride to lead to striving, and they were fighting against one another. In chap- verse number three of chapter four, and verse number four, he says that their prayers are not being answered because they were asking amiss from the will of God and asking so that they could consume it upon their lust. They were not asking in the will of God for things that God wanted them to have, but rather they were asking for selfish things just so they could enjoy it in their own fleshly desires. In verse 4, James says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's a pretty strong rebuke. And throughout the word of God... We're, we see instructions that the preaching of his word is supposed to be the whole counsel of God, not just what is popular, not just what people want to hear, but what we need to hear, the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy and he told him to rebuke, reprove, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So therefore, sometimes as we labor in the word, sometimes it's going to be exhorting, which is encouragement. But sometimes it's going to be rebuke or reproof for the word of God convicts sin. And not only sometimes are we going to have to preach parts of the Bible that talk about sin, but sometimes we have to preach against sin that's actually happening with people within the congregation. It's been said by some that people are generally okay with sin being preached about in generic terms. But when we start to hear preaching about our sins specifically, what we are doing wrong, our flesh does not like that. And it leads either to repentance in a new beginning or to us stiffening our neck. The point I'm making is that James, even though they're going through a time of trial and of hardship, he does write encouragement to them, but he also writes a lot of rebukes. The Bible is a book that is full of encouragement, but also of reproof and of rebukes. And as the preacher, oftentimes in studying to preach or in teaching and preaching, I'm convicted as well. For these are the words of God, and I am not God. God is perfect, and I am not. Another aspect of the scripture that we see all throughout the Bible comes in the form of a warning. God says, I want to warn you, not to go down this road there's some things i want to caution you about so that you will be aware well here comes a warning and a reminder where james definitely shifts what he's talking about if you read chapter 4 it flows pretty well verses 1 through 12 and when he gets to verse 13 he transitions and talks about a new topic this topic comes in the form of a warning to remember that life is short. We have this reminder hanging over us each and every day that life is temporary, that we will not live forever. And throughout 2020 and the time of the pandemic, a lot of people we saw around us in the world and perhaps sometimes in our own mind, there was a grappling with the fact that we're all going to face death one day. And people who do not know God fear death more often than not, whether they want to talk about it or not. Most people will admit they've at least spent some amount of time thinking about the fact, what happens when I die? Is there an afterlife? And I believe part of the reason for that is that God has created us with the desire to know the truth. He's put eternity in our hearts so that we are curious to know where we are headed We are faced with our own frailty. We are faced with the fact that we get sick. We are faced with the fact that we are weak. And as we drive up and down the roads on the highway each and every day, we buckle that seatbelt. But we know there are people in our world, in our state, in our area, that will get in a car and try to drive to the destination they're headed to, that are not going to make it there. And God wants us to know and be reminded and have not as a thought that defeats us or hangs over us like a cloud every day, but as a somewhat constant reminder, he wants the thought to be triggered in our mind. This life is not all there is. This life is temporary. It's short. And tomorrow is not promised to me. I didn't make a handout tonight. I'm sorry about not getting to that. But I have several verses that I'm going to read back to back to back just to give us an idea of how often the Word of God tells us, remember, your days on this earth are limited. So if you can stick with me while I read several and then we'll get to our main text here. Psalm 144, 4. Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away there the Bible compares our days and our time upon this earth to a shadow that comes throughout the passing of a morning or an afternoon. It appears and then it quickly goes away first Peter one twenty four for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. The Bible says in Isaiah also that all people are like grass. So we're compared to a shadow. James compares us to a vapor, and here the Bible compares us to grass. It grows up for a little bit, it's cut down, and that's the end of it. Psalm 102.3. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as in hearth. My days, verse 11, are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like glass." Second Samuel 14:14 14, 14 says, "For we must all needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again." They say you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. I'm pretty sure you can't, though I've never tried. It's a metaphor, it's a saying to say, hey, it's too late, it's already gone, you can't undo what you've done. And there, in 2 Samuel, the scripture is saying that as water, if you pour it out on the concrete, you can't just gather it all up again and put it back in your glass. So too that is our life. We all must needs die, and are as water spilt upon the ground. Psalm thirty nine five. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Just a couple more, if you'll stick with me. Job fourteen one. Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. What is any life going to be like? Two things. There's going to be some trouble in every life. In every life will be a few days. In the big picture of things. Whether you live to what we would consider an old age or not, our days are still few. Psalm eighty-nine forty-seven. Remember how short my time is. Job 7, 6 and 7. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall no more see good. The weaver's shuttle would be used to sew things and weave them together. And like you would picture a sewing machine where it has that quick action, where it goes to one side and then is pushed back to the other side. Job said, that's what my life is like. My life is like the wind. Proverbs 27.1 Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I was supposed to read that one in a minute, so that one I got out of order. Why? Why does the Word of God tell us so many times to remember that we're not going to live forever? Not to distress us, not to dismay us, not that we would be depressed. I've got this in my notes to say later. But a child of God should never fear death. The thought that we may leave this earth sooner than we had planned should not cause us fear, despair, or hopelessness for our hope is in the blood of Jesus Christ and His promise that He has gone to prepare a place for us and that when we are absent from our bodies we will be present with the Lord. But rather I believe that God has put in His Word so many times the reminder to us, His people, that life is short and our days are numbered so that we would live with eternity in view. Live with eternity in view. If I don't believe that there is a God, then when I get up and go to work Monday morning, my thoughts and my plans are different than if I am saved and know that there is a God. If I don't know the Lord, then I'm simply worried about how much money can I make and what am I going to do for fun later and let's eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Well, as a Christian, those day to day thoughts and plans are still going to be a part of our life. We're still going to think about here's what I need to do to take care of business and to get ahead. And here's what I'd like to do tonight when I get home for fun. Five months from now, as a goal. 50 years from now, what I'm working towards. But we do it each and every day knowing that our hope is not in our paycheck. Our hope is. And our life is not really about how much fun we can have, but rather we enjoy those things as a gift from God, knowing that when we leave this earth, our opportunity for pleasure and fun is not what's over, but our opportunity to serve God because we love Him while we live is what will be ended. And Jesus told His disciples, "'Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth,' where the thieves can break through and steal it, where the moths can corrupt it and eat it up, and where the rust can corrupt it. But rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for any treasure that you have in heaven cannot be taken away. Jesus said it cannot be stolen. It cannot be eaten. It will not be rusted over. Jesus was not saying it's a sin. To have any treasures on earth, but rather that that would not be our primary focus and that we would have our heart connected to our treasure that is in heaven. And sometimes I'm going to talk about this. I'm talking about things out of order tonight from the way I put them in my notes, but sometimes it's easy to get discouraged and think, what kind of treasure am I going to have in heaven? I don't get to preach to hundreds of people. I don't get to be a famous missionary. Does it even matter what I do for God? Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you see that little child? He said, who will ever give them a cup of cold water if it's done in my name? In the name of Jesus, verily I say unto you, you shall not lose your reward. But most importantly, and first and foremost, when we read these verses reminding us that our days are numbered, you need to be sure And know that you know that you know that you have been born again, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that you by simple faith have asked Jesus to save you and cast your hope upon him so that we will be ready for the day of our departure. Here in our text, we see number one, a warning against boasting of future plans. James chapter 4 and verse 13, after he completes what he was just saying about there only being one lawgiver, and that's God, and we're not supposed to be judges, he changes subjects and he says, go to now. That little phrase there, go to now, is denoting the fact that he's transitioning to talk about something else and also saying, hey, pay attention, come now, listen up, this is important. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Number one, a warning against future plans. He's warning them. He says, Don't. He says, Hey, take note. Be careful and remember those of you who go around bragging, saying, Today or tomorrow we will move to this city and start a business and trade. Buy, sell, get, gain, accomplish. They're talking about their future plans and their goals. And he says, be careful about bragging and saying for sure in your boastings. This is what's going to happen. Proverbs 27, 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs there in its wisdom is saying, be careful about boasting and bragging about what you're going to do tomorrow. Because you don't know what today is. Is going to bring. And so many stories could come to our mind, but each and every moment we live in the possibility of getting that phone call that brings us to our knees, of getting a diagnosis that changes our life forever, or of being involved in an accident. What James here is saying and what Proverbs was saying is you don't know what today holds, you don't know what tomorrow holds. So don't brag about it. Don't boast about it. And if you know the Bible, I believe that it's not wrong for us, as I said, to have plans and have goals. And we'll see in our text tonight, you can say, this is what I'm working towards if God will allow me to have it. But be very careful about bragging in your flesh and in your boasting about what you will do or about what is going to happen. For we can make our plans, but the end result is truly out of our hands. Here, James is saying in this text, our plans are not the same as God's plans. We are not in control of the future. And if we refuse to acknowledge that God must bless our plans in order for them to happen, then we are robbing God of His glory, and we are saying we are strong enough to make our own plans happen, whether God blesses or not. There's an old saying, man plans and God laughs. That's taken directly out of Psalm chapter 2, where in Psalm 2, the kings of the earth, it's sort of an end times messianic prophecy where they say, we will defeat the Messiah. We will conquer him. And it says the Lord that sits in the heavens will laugh. He will have them in derision. And they took that scripture as actually most of the phrases, at least old English phrases that came about that we still say today, they originated from scripture. And people will say, man plans, God laughs. And that phrase is simply used to say, yeah, this is our plans. But when we set forth our plans, God laughs because God knows that much of the time our plans are not going to come about. When I think about plans and plans getting ruined for the future, I think about the year 2020. How many people had a plan for what that year was gonna be like, but then when the pandemic broke out, it was completely altered and shattered. Melissa's little sister had a trip planned for Spain for her senior year. That was canceled. People had weddings planned and they were canceled because all of the venues were shut down. People who were gonna get married ended up not getting married because they broke up by the time the venues reopened again. And so many people had so many ideas of what that year would be like, and then the pandemic happens, and then they don't even have a job. And now they're worried about how they're gonna keep their house. And my point is that we may feel secure As an American, in our future, and what we're doing, and in our job, and in our 401K. But be careful if you're putting your hope and your confidence in that, rather than in yielding to the will of God. For everything we have could be taken away in a moment and gone with the wind. Therefore, our hope is not supposed to be in the treasures of this world Notice what we're in James chapter 4. Notice what he says in verse 13. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will, we will go into this city buy, sell, and get gain. They're bragging and they're not leaving any possibility that their future plans may be disrupted. If God does not allow them to come to pass. Therefore, it's as if we are saying I'm equal to God. I've made a plan. It's going to happen. And we're not accounting for the fact that our plans will not come true unless God blesses us. When we say we will do this or that, we're refusing to acknowledge that our plans and goals are dependent upon God's favor. Verse 16, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. There he's saying that it's pride, it's boasting, it's arrogance. And therefore, it is sin. We must remember that whatever we've accomplished in the past, whatever good things we've seen come to pass, it is only the favor of God that allows us to accomplish good things, either in our life or for Him. And if His favor is removed from us, we will not be able to do it again. In the Old Testament, Israel was taking the Promised Land and they were knocking out city by city and God had blessed and said, you'll go and I'll give you the victory. And they beat everybody no matter how big the army was. But then Achan disobeyed God. There was sin in the camp and God said, until it's resolved, I'm going to remove my hand of blessing from Israel. And they came now to a little city of Ai. It was so small that they said, we don't even need to send all of our army. We'll just send a few because it'll be easy to beat them. But not knowing that God's hand of favor had been removed from them, they went into battle and they lost because their victories were not coming from how good they were at fighting. They were coming from God. Samson was endued with strength, supernatural strength. One of the strongest men we read about in the Bible. And he had a lot of sin, and he disobeyed God a lot. And eventually, when the last of his Nazarite vows were broken, and his hair was cut, he got up, not knowing that it had been cut. He rose up, and the text says, Samson said, I will go out as... Before times, not knowing that the hand of God had been removed from him, he thought, i beat my enemies before, and I'll do it now. No problem. But when God did not bless him, he was not able to win the victory. And so too in our life, we must remember that we are wholly dependent upon God and God's favor in order to accomplish our future plans. Therefore, James gives us a warning against boasting. Psalm 124, I'll read you a few verses from here. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. That's talking about the past and saying if it had not been for God blessing Israel, Israel would have lost Psalm 124.8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Over and over again, he wanted them to be reminded, Israel, your hope is not in horses or in chariots. Or in modern day terms, we could say our hope is not in nuclear weapons or tanks or rifles, but rather in God himself. The battle is the Lord's. So for their past, for their future, they were reminded it was God who who has given the victory before. It is God who must give the victory in the future. We must mentally and verbally acknowledge our dependence on God's favor. Number one, a warning against future boastings. Number two, the question is asked, what is your life? What is your life? Verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know what's coming tomorrow. For what is your life? Then he gives the answer. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. James says to his readers who he's given all kind of warnings about. And in the next chapter, he'll warn the rich people about trusting in their riches. And he says, I just want you to remember your life. What is it like? It's like a vapor. It's like boiling a pot of water. And the steam starts to come up. The vapor, it's there. It passes. You see it for a moment. And it's gone. And James, in the Word of God, says in the big picture, in the long scheme, that's what our life is like Why does God want us to know that life is short? Why does He want us to think about our life as a vapor? Again, not to cause us to fear or distress or to be depressed about it. Because the Christian should not fear death. But rather that we would be reminded, make sure that we are born again. Be reminded that if there's someone we need to forgive, because the Word of God has commanded us to forgive and not be bitter. Forgive them today. Love your family. Serve God. Do His will. Obey His word. Seek that relationships would be restored. Repent of sin. Why? Life is short. And we only have so many days to live in the here and now. And yes, we will praise God for all of eternity in heaven with our new nature. But our opportunity here on this earth to choose to serve Him because we love Him is very limited. As I said earlier, we may think, well, how am I going to have rewards in heaven? I don't get to do much for God. Pastor Sam Davison gave a story years ago where he said they were having a, a Saturday morning men's breakfast and prayer time and they had a missionary in to speak to the men of the church and he got up and he, he was talking along these lines about eternity is what really matters and people are going to die that don't know the Lord and go to hell and he said some of you are just out there working a regular job. He said you need to do something big for the Lord and just quit what you're doing and go to the mission field. Make your life count. Pastor Davison said... It didn't, it kind of bothered me and it took me a minute to figure out why what he was saying just kind of bothered me. And he said, you know what? There may be a guy over here a guy over here who it is God's will for them to go to the mission field. And if it is, they should do that. He said, but it's something big for God to do whatever the will of God is for your life. And he said, this man who is sitting over here that runs a mechanic shop and gets up at 6 in the morning and goes and works 10 hours, and then he goes home, and he's a good man, and he loves his family, and he's faithful to his wife, and he tries to train up his kids and teach them in the ways of God and show them the scriptures, and he goes to his church faithfully and gives in the offering to support his church and to support worldwide missions. He said, that man is doing something big for God if he's doing what the will of God is for him. And it doesn't have to be something all the world will know about or something that looks huge and grand. But if you do the will of God for your life, it matters. And also, if you don't do the will of God for your life, that matters too. This is our opportunity to serve Him. And our days are numbered. I have two passages of scripture. If we can get them in, we're going to go through quickly here and then we're going to be dismissed. The first one is Psalm 90, if you'd like to follow along. Can I get some help? Uh, Jason, would you read the first four verses here? Psalms chapter 90. Yes. Verses 1 through 4. Yes. the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Uh, Verse 1 before that says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 3, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in Thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. We were preaching out of 2 Peter chapter 3 a couple weeks ago, and that same phraseology is used. God is not bound by time. A thousand years with God, it's just like one day. Verse 5, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, and in the evening is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told, as if we're living out a story. Verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and 10 and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away a score is 20 so what the old english here is saying is that our our whole life is 70 years and if we're strong maybe we make it to 80 or beyond that and in that life that we live there's strength there's labor there's sorrow But yet it is soon cut off, and we fly away. You see, whether it's 70, 80, or 100, the same thought still applies. It is soon cut off, and we fly away. Sometimes, tragically, a young person will die through an illness or an accident, and people will say, How could God let that happen? It's just so tragic. This life has been cut short. But the truth of the matter is whether you live to be 18 or 88 in the scheme of eternity, it's still very, very short. And none of us have forever. Verse 11 Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. What's the point? Verse twelve. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days, meaning to mark and to know and realize they're not going to last forever. Why? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom, so that we would not just go through life with, well, uh, what's the phrase? Thank, thank God, it's Friday. Oh, now it's Monday. Well, when I, I live for whatever I want, do what I want, have fun. No, sit down and apply your heart to wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes says it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For in the house of mourning, in the funeral home, the living will see it and they will apply it to their heart. They will remember that's where all of us are headed. And it actually does more good for us to go to a place of mourning than to a place of feasting. Apply our hearts to wisdom. Is it wrong for us to rejoice and to be glad? Verse 13, Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God doesn't want us to live as a dour, miserable person. He wants us to rejoice. He wants us to be full of the joy of the Lord and be glad and rejoice. Enjoy the good things he's given us. Some people throughout history in the Catholic Church and monks, they try to get more spiritual by laying aside all pleasures of life. Well, it's pleasurable and a good thing to eat good food, so I'll starve myself half to death. They even would beat themselves with whips trying to show that they were inflicting pain, and that would make them more godly. But God created good food to be enjoyed. God created good health for us to enjoy when we can have it. It doesn't make us more spiritual if we're shunning the good things that God created and intended for us to enjoy. And beating our own back with a whip cannot do a single thing to get us closer to God. The only thing was Jesus Christ who had His back whipped for us. And through His suffering, we can be made whole. Here in Psalm 90, we see three different things. Psalm 90 says, remember that life is short. Apply your heart to wisdom and rejoice all your days. Therefore, we could spend part of our time doing all three. Remembering that life is short, numbering our days, applying our heart to wisdom, but also living life with joy and celebration, knowing that our God has created so many wonderful things that we can enjoy. Rejoice, be glad all your days in the mercy of God, knowing that if it was not for His goodness and His mercy, we all would be consumed already. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is the other passage I wanted to go to tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 1. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. Here's what Solomon is saying. He says, Remember now the Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days come, when you begin to get old and know that life is passing and the trouble of life comes, he warns against being young and saying, I've got time, I don't have to live for God now, I'm young. Whatever age you are here tonight, you should purpose in your heart to give the rest of your days to God. But if you're young, you should be reminded and know that your opportunities to give your life to God, it may seem like it's unlimited, But it's not. God says, don't have the attitude of, oh, well, I'm young. Now's the time I'm going to explore and do whatever I want. And then later on, when I get older, then I can serve God. No, the Bible says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. A song was sung years ago in in the 70s. I think it was uh, Rick Ballard, if that's how you say his name. Rick Ballack. And it was a young man, and he said he went to church, and he he heard the call of the preacher, give your life to God, be born again, serve Him. And he said, I'm just a young man, not yet in my prime, and I've got plenty of time. And the song went, and he had other opportunities to be called to repent and give his life to God and not live for flesh. And he repeated the same line, I'm just a young man, not yet in my prime, and I've got plenty of time. And as the story goes, the years and the days and the months and weeks and decades slipped away. And before he realized that he was slipping out into eternity, his opportunity to make the right choice is gone. And said, now I've got nothing but time. Verse 3. Verses 3 through 7 give us a little allegory here. And what it's talking about is about as we grow older. Verse 3 in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. The one who used to do all of the hard work of keeping the house, your hands sometimes begin to tremble when you get older. And the strong men shall bow themselves. Those who were strong will now have pain in their knees and will be bowed over. And the grinders cease because they are few. That's talking about your teeth start to fall out. They cease because they are few those who look out the windows be darkened. Speaking about the one who used to be the watchman and look and be able to see everything. Now their vision begins to be blurred. And the doors shall be shut in the streets. When the sound of the grinding is low, hearing can leave also. And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. There it says, rise up at the voice of the bird. Sometimes when you grow older, it's harder to sleep through the night, and any little thing can disturb you. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall be shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. I think there I have read the, the phrase the reference to the almond tree can have to do with the greying of the hair, but basically he's giving the picture of life slowly going by and being over, and then the mourners being in the streets, there being a funeral possession. Procession. Verse six. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. We quote that verse at funerals, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, and may the Spirit return to God who gave it. Why is he talking about getting old to make us sad that that's where we're all headed? No, remember now with whatever days you have left, remember your Creator. Remember that when you die, that's not the end of it, but your spirit will return to God. It matters so little how much you may own, the places you've been, or the people you've known. For it all comes to nothing when placed at His feet. It's nothing to Jesus, just memories to keep. You can take all the treasures from faraway lands and take all the riches you can hold in your hands and take all the pleasures your riches can buy. But what will you have when it's your time to die? The days pass so swiftly, the months come and go. The years melt away like new falling snow. Spring turns to summer, then summer to fall. Autumn brings winter, then death comes to all. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one chance to do His will. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays when you recall you have but one life. May God help each and every one of us to give our days to Him. Number one, a warning against future boastings. Number two, what is your life? It is a vapor. Number three, we ought to say, if the Lord will. This was the point that James was getting to. Not that it's wrong to have a plan or talk about that plan. But he says, hey, look out. If you're saying tomorrow, we will buy or sell. Do this or do that. For you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's like that vapor that appears and then vanishes away. James 4.16 415, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. It is a biblical, scriptural thing to when we are talking about our future plans, to say, Lord willing, to give that preface. They used to say, Lord willing, and if the creek doesn't rise, then I'll be there. What, what, what were they saying? Le- if there's a flood, I might not be there. Don't tell me you said you'd be there. I said, Lord willing, I would be there. And I don't think it's a legalistic thing or God gets all mad at us if we say, I'm going to dinner at Cheddar's tomorrow. And God's going to be upset if we forgot to say, Lord willing. But when we're talking about our major life plans, it's scriptural not just to acknowledge it in our mind, but to say out loud to someone else the phrase, Lord willing. We're going to accomplish this. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to build this. When we, in our heart, our mind, and with our words, say, Lord willing, we'll accomplish our plans, we are acknowledging the fact that if God does not choose to allow our plans to succeed, then they will not. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And we are to remember that we are wholly dependent upon Him. I love Deuteronomy 8, 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. Someone says, well, I worked hard to get my money. Yeah, but God gave you the power to work to get that money. If God took your health away like a lot of people don't have health, you wouldn't be able to work for five seconds to get that wealth. It all comes from God. We're dependent upon him for it all. We talk about our church. I'd love to look to the future and say, God's gonna bless us and we're gonna accomplish this. I try to always remember to say, Lord willing, if God chooses to bless us, if God gives us favor, then we will be blessed. For without God, we're not accomplishing anything in this church. Yes, we have to work hard. Yes, we have to pray. Yes, we have to try to be clean vessels. But we can do all of that, and if God doesn't bless, then we will fail. We will fall flat on our face. I have some plans for the rest of my life, not just in the church, but outside of it. Personally, I have some goals I'm working towards, but I have to remember it's Lord willing. It's all dependent on God, and if God doesn't bless it, it's not going to happen. Verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's almost a little jarring, or like a pivot, or what's he talking about? What is he referring to? Well, in context, he's talking about this matter of acknowledging that our plans are dependent upon God, but he's also talking about a whole chapters where we're supposed to humble ourselves and not live in strife and conflict, and he's also coming through a whole book where we've been listing all of the specific instructions. And here he says, listen... I've been telling you a lot of things you're supposed to do. I've been telling you a lot of things that are wrong. And just like James who said, therefore, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of it. He reminds them, hey, now that I've given you that truth and you know you're supposed to do it. If you don't do it, it's a sin. The Bible we take in, the Bible we learn, it's a privilege. But to whom much is given, much shall be required. And we can have sins of commission where we commit a sin, doing something that's wrong. But we also can commit a sin of omission, where we know we are supposed to do something and we don't do it. God holds us responsible for that as well. And in the preceding verses there, the context is he was talking about giving God the glory with our words. That's all I have for tonight. I thank you all for coming out. We give prayer for the corpus who are out of town and others that I know would be here if they hadn't had a change in their work schedule and things that prevent them to be. So I thank you for being faithful, for being here. We're just going forward one day at a time asking God to bless us and we always have a video or an audio download available that I know from time to time people pick up and hear and take in the word of God as well. But I thank you for being here because without your attendance we wouldn't even be able to have a church. So praise God, all glory to Him. Does anyone have a question, a thought on the lesson tonight, a prayer request, a praise, anything at all? It is great to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. All right. And uh, we stop passing the offering plate on Wednesday night. We've got plenty of giving times, but if you ever have one, you wanted to get on a Wednesday, you can just give it to me or brother Jason. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear God, we love you. Thank you that we could be in your house tonight. Thank you for being so good to us. I pray Lord that you would bless our future plans. Help us remember that life is short so that we may live for you and you may receive the glory from what we do. We love you and we ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen.